Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, polls, 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 polls. Warren says Sanders told her a woman can't win the presidency, which he denies. The latest Democratic candidate debate is tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. The House will move articles of impeachment to the Senate, where senators won't dismiss the charges and enough GOP support may allow calling witnesses. And it was a surprisingly historic year of progress for election reform. It is 293 days until the general election, and here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Let's start with something a little more cut and dried before we get into the big election story of the last 24 hours, just a few hours before tonight's Democratic National Committee candidates debate. Quinnipiac University has a new national poll, while Monmouth University focused on likely Democratic Iowa caucus voters and NBC10 Boston, Franklin Pierce University, Boston Herald have likely New Hampshire primary voter picks. Quinnipiac's poll, surveying 651 Democratic voters and independents who lean Democratic, had Biden coming in tops with 25%, Sanders with 19%, and Warren with 16%. In the second tier down, you have Buttigieg polling 8%, Bloomberg at 6%, Yang with 5%, and Klobuchar at 4%. Poll's margin of error is plus or minus 2.5%. Warren, Sanders, and Biden are at 19%, 18 and 13% as the second choices in order, for folks who picked someone else as their first preference. Meanwhile, in Iowa, Monmouth says of 405 Iowa voters likely to participate in the February 3rd caucuses, 24% picked Biden, 18% Sanders, 17% Buttigieg, and 15% Warren. Klobuchar is fifth with 8%, and it drops down significantly after that. Steyer came in at just 4% in this poll. This poll has a whopping 4.9% margin of error, however, which means the top four could really be polling roughly the same, although likely the order of preference represents voters' intent. Only 43% of those surveyed, however, are firmly decided to cast a choice at their caucus for the candidate they currently favor. The rest say they're open to the possibility of having their mind changed, which is one of the points of caucuses in the first place where small groups of voters get together to talk about the best candidate, both in absolute and in strategic terms. Iowans know full well their choice is a strong signal to other voters. One complicating factor in Iowa is that a candidate has to receive 15% or more of the ballots at each caucus site to receive an allotment of convention delegates. If they fall below that number, a caucus attendee has to provide a second choice among the top vote-getters. Because it's site-by-site, it's going to be hard to predict which candidates fall to the wayside as polling proceeds. Warren's 15% in the Monmouth poll might indicate she's in trouble, but the poll also found she has the most support as the second pick among all candidates. If only her and the other top four candidates were on the ballot, however, Iowa voters gave her the lowest score as their first pick, 16%, with Sanders, Buttigieg, and Biden at 24, 25, and 28%. But Warren also has the highest net favorability in the poll. 73% though Sanders and Buttigieg aren't far behind. A New Hampshire poll from NBC10 Boston, Franklin Pierce University, Boston Herald, found a similar result. 434 Democrats and independents voting in the Democratic primary put Biden at 26%, Sanders at 22%, 
Warren at 18%, Buttigieg at just 7%, and Bloomberg with 4%, even though Bloomberg isn't on the ballot in New Hampshire, nor is he competing in the first four states. The poll also has a large margin of error, 4.7%. So how do we take these three polls together? It's still a crowded race at the top. Nate Silver at 538 provides some statistical guidance this morning. He notes that Biden has the greatest likelihood for getting the majority of pledged delegates for the DNC convention at 39%, even though he's not the clear favorite. The site's analysis puts Sanders' current odds at 23%, Warren at 13%, and Buttigieg at 10%. Iowa has a way of mixing everything up, though, and some of the earlier DNC debates have shifted voter opinions, at least temporarily. Those odds change up dramatically after the first two contests, though. Silver writes, quote, If Biden does win the first two states, he'd be in a very strong position with a 92% chance of winning the delegate majority and 95% chance of the plurality. So as much as we like to emphasize the uncertainty in the outlook, scenarios that involve Biden winning do come up more often than those for other candidates. And some of those scenarios involve Biden winning the nomination easily. While that all seems like a foregone conclusion, everything about the last four years tells us to not accept anything in politics as predictable, so we'll just have to see how it plays out. Now for the less pleasant story from the last day's cycle. An explosive account emerged at CNN yesterday, a potential firestorm for the two most progressive candidates at the top, Sanders and Warren. CNN reported that Sanders told Warren in a private meeting in December, setting ground rules if they faced each other as presidential candidates, that he didn't think a woman could win the presidency in 2020. Only Warren and Sanders were present, however, and CNN relied on four sources, two of whom say Warren described Sanders' comments not long after the meeting, and two others that CNN described as, quote, familiar with the meeting, end quote. It was a surprising revelation given Sanders' history, and without context, it was unclear in what tone and with what direction he might have made such a comment. Sanders denied he'd made such a remark. In a statement to CNN, he said, and how I wish there were audio of this instead of just text, it is ludicrous to believe that at the same meeting where Elizabeth Warren told me she was going to run for president, I would tell her that a woman couldn't win. It's sad that three weeks before the Iowa caucus and a year after that private conversation, staff who weren't in the room are lying about what happened. What I did say that night was that Donald Trump is a sexist, a racist, and a liar who would weaponize whatever he could. Do I believe a woman can win in 2020? Of course. After all, Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by 3 million votes in 2016. End quote. Warren released a statement following the CNN story stating, among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. I have no interest in discussing this private meeting any further because Bernie and I have far more in common than our differences on punditry, end quote. In reporting from BuzzFeed, the news site said three people who heard Warren talk in early 2019 about the meeting said on Monday that their memory of her telling matched CNN's reporting. Sanders and Warren describe each other as friends, and the campaigns have until recently largely avoided attacking each other. This weekend, Politico reported on a script Sanders' volunteer organizers were given in which they were to say that Warren's supporters were, quote, highly educated, more affluent people who are going to show up and vote Democratic no matter what, and that they wouldn't add voters to the Democratic Party. Sanders said those scripts don't represent his approach and were developed without his knowledge, quote, you have heard me for months. I have never said a negative word about Elizabeth Warren, who is a friend of mine. We have differences on issues. That's what a campaign is about. But no one is going to be attacking Elizabeth, end quote. 
Oddly, far-trailing candidate Tulsi Gabbard, a House representative, appeared to try to quell the furor. She posted on Twitter that she had met Sanders before she announced her run for the nomination and that, quote, in that meeting, he showed me the greatest respect and encouragement just as he always has, end quote. Progressive groups and supporters of each or both candidates voiced a lot of concern about this issue coming out just before the debates. Some blamed Warren's campaign without any evidence. Others suggested the Trump campaign could have been involved in stirring things up. The New York Times summarized the mom and dad are fighting aspect to this controversy in an article in which they quoted Charles Chamberlain, the head of Democracy for America, as saying, quote, we have an opportunity to defeat the corporate wing of the Democratic Party, and that's where this primary should be focused. This helps no one. Doesn't seem like Sanders or Warren's campaigns nor the candidates really want to be talking about these issues. However, we could see some fire on stage tonight between Warren and Sanders, as one would expect the moderators to ask questions about friction. Both candidates will be expected to have prepared responses that allow them to reframe the situation, likely diffusing it. With Biden on top in the polls, Warren and Sanders will likely focus on him, not each other, regardless. It seems like we'd rather see a push against Biden between the conflict in Iran with Trump's order for the killing of Major General Qasem Soleimani and the potential expulsion of American troops from Iraq. Biden voted for the 2002 authorization to wage war in Iraq as a senator, though he feels he moderated the position of the Declaration of War Powers. Sanders, then in the House, voted against it. Biden started calling his vote a mistake as far back as 2005, though he more lately tries to explain how he opposed the war. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Plexiderm. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. This is not surgery. It's not Botox. It is a clear solution for your problem areas. And I know we all have a few of those. Plexiderm offers you smooth, younger-looking skin in minutes. It goes on clear, so nobody knows you're using it. Again, that is a big difference if you've ever looked at surgical stuff for wrinkles and the areas around your eyes. That's where people look, and that's why you're better off with all-natural Plexiderm. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional 10% off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use code VOICES at checkout. That's TryPlexiderm.com, code VOICES. Chris ran through a lot of details yesterday about tonight's 7th Democratic National Committee managed candidate debate. To recap, we will see on stage Sanders, Biden, Warren, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Steyer. There's a crunch at the top with Sanders and Biden at the apex, but there's still plenty of jockeying before the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd, but well within striking distance. Buttigieg, Bloomberg, Klobuchar, and Yang are in a distinctly lower tier, but could still break out. Steyer is on the stage, but doesn't stand out in the national arena, while Bloomberg refuses to take individual donations, which will keep him off future stages, and Yang has fallen short of the required polling. Though that could change based on the Quinnipiac poll, depending on how the DNC sets its criteria for the 8th debate on February 7th following the Iowa caucuses, Yang could pick up additional support in the following weeks, given the number of candidates now out of the running. 
Yang and Devil Patrick remain the only non-white candidates, and Patrick is polling negligibly. The moderators tonight will be CNN political correspondent Abby Phillip and Des Moines Register political correspondent Rian Pfaffensteel. CNN's Wolf Blitzer will also be present as a moderator. If you want to watch tonight's debates, Chris ran through the options yesterday, so I'll just briefly recap. The debate starts live at 8 p.m. in Central Time, and that is 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 9 p.m. Eastern. It will last two hours. Go to any CNN website or app, and no login is required to stream the debate live. You can also go to DesMoinesRegister.com, the other host of the debate. For Jeopardy fans like me, you won't miss the real time but not live airing at 8 p.m. Pacific as it follows the live debate or at 8 p.m. Eastern, which precedes it. Central and Mountain, sorry, you'll need to tape it. By the way, if you want the analysis of the three greatest of all time tournament matches so far from this two-time Jeopardy champion, go to Motherboard.com to read my story about how Brad Rutter, the all-time cash winner across American game show history, isn't winning. Let's check in on the state of the impeachment process because there were a couple of big things in the last day. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the House will vote on Wednesday to send the two articles of impeachment passed in December to the Senate. This would include approving the appointment of House managers who will oversee their portion of the trial in the Senate and who would walk the articles to the Senate formally after House approval. Those managers haven't yet been appointed. I've seen the notion floated that former Republican Justin Amash, now an independent, could be picked as one of them. He left the GOP after going public with his conclusion that Trump's behavior warranted impeachment hearings. During Bill Clinton's impeachment trial in 1998, 13 House members were managers. That includes now Senator Lindsey Graham, whose outspoken statements in 1998 keep coming back to haunt him, except that you can't haunt someone who is already a ghost of their former self. On the Senate side of things, Utah Senator Mitt Romney has said he will vote in favor of hearing from at least one witness during the impeachment trial in the Senate. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said in advance of the trial that he wouldn't consider whether witnesses would testify at all, nor which witnesses would be called. Romney supports calling at least John Bolton, who volunteered to testify after he resisted speaking in front of the House Committee considering articles of impeachment. That's despite an ongoing lawsuit about Bolton's requirement to testify in front of the House, and Trump could still attempt to block Bolton by declaring executive privilege, which could lead to more lawsuits. Because of the 53-47 split in the Senate between the GOP and Democrats, including two independents who caucus with the Dems, four senators have to cross the party line in a simple majority vote to approve witnesses. While several GOP senators face minor to robust potential challenges this fall, none has made a statement to date as firm as Romney's. Previously, Maine's Susan Collins and Alaska's Lisa Murkowski have grumbled about some aspects, and Collins said last week she was working with a small group of GOP senators to consider allowing new witnesses at the trial. However, CBS News reported that unnamed White House officials told them they expect at least four Republicans to break ranks to vote in favor of calling witnesses. This is one of the strongest bits of news we've heard so far that this could occur. In addition to Romney, Collins, and Murkowski, it could include Cory Gardner of Colorado, who is facing the strong potential of a loss at home this fall, likely to former Governor John Hickenlooper, and Rand Paul of Kentucky, who votes his own conscience always. The White House also apparently thinks Tennessee's Lamar Alexander has enough of a commitment to the Senate as an institution to not tow a GOP line. Along these lines, senators also ruled out Trump's request that the charges simply be dismissed when they reach the Senate. 
A broader and more public swath of comments from Republican senators made it clear that won't happen, including Roy Blunt of Missouri and Lamar Alexander. Finally, I do like to find a little positive election news, and it seems to keep coming back to voting and voting integrity. At the American Prospect, a liberal and progressive publication, George Pillsbury and Miles Rappaport rounded up the effective pushback against GOP attempts to deter voter registration, purge voters, and suppress access to the ballot box. They list off a number of improvements for access to the ballot in 2019. Quote, 2019 saw more states advance more election reforms than at any time since the progressive era of the early 20th century. Pro-voter policies ranging from same-day registration, automatic voter registration, and voting rights restoration to redistricting reform and the National Popular Vote Compact saw breakthrough gains. End quote. Same-day voter registration is now available in 21 states. Automatic voter registration during motor vehicle or public agency interactions, often called motor voter registration, is now available in 19 states, up from just one in 2016. The right to vote at home is now available through mail-in or drop-off balloting in more states, including no-excuse absentee ballots in swing states Michigan and Pennsylvania. Some states and counties are experimenting with ranked choice voting, which allows a voter to specify their order of preference for candidates. That allows pluralities of votes to be resolved in subsequent rounds to find a majority based on subsequent picks by each voter. It's used in some elections around the world. And there have also been gains in voter rights restoration and in fair redistricting laws in some states. The effort to replace the Electoral College without requiring a constitutional amendment is also proceeding. The National Popular Vote Compact is legislation being passed in state legislatures that would award electoral votes in states that pass the legislation proportionate to the national vote. However, these laws don't kick in until states representing at least 270 electoral votes have enacted the change. In 2019, four more states joined the compact and the total is now at 73% of the 270 electoral vote threshold. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. I'll be back tomorrow for debate postmortem, and then Chris Higgins will be finishing out the week on Thursday and Friday. We'll also be taking Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday off on Monday, then I'll return from then on starting next Tuesday. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Election Podcast or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Election Ride Home. I am also on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank. Thanks for listening and have a pleasant night. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.